yeah. thought I'm crazy. I'd go, uh-huh. well, yeah, I am. But that's how you build relationships. That's how you build relationships. If you want to, because one of the things is they're trying to go from transactional mm-hmm. to transformational. Yeah. I says, well, that's what it takes. That's what it takes. You have to go, you have to talk to people on the phone. Then you have mm-hmm. to say, hey, can I come and see you? Yeah, you got to go see them. Oh. And it, it's not convenient, it's not easy, and it's not mm-mm, quick. Mm-mm. Sometimes <laughs> you just go then got to turn right back around. But you made that connection, yep. you know. They must introduce me to 20 or 30 sorry, sheriff deputies. Like, yeah. These from our daily bread, and they supplied us with all these materials for the last 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. They thought it was pretty cool. I came to see them. Because uh-huh. we do a thing th- at least three, if not four times a year for law enforcement at our church. Yeah. So, Coach was telling me about that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, got one more. Uh, the week of Thanksgiving. Okay. We give them a Thanksgiving lunch, turkey, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Uh, but they come. You know, we do two or three in the summertime. And yep. all them sheriffs, some of the EMTs come in there. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, just building relationships yeah. with them. It's building relationships with them, you know. For sure. I want to try this today. I just want to set that there. Is it, uh, that, another microphone. Well, y'all okay. got y'all pretty fancy here. All right. Let's see how that does. Uh huh. <sighs> Yeah, so after this, I'm heading home. Okay. You just live out in Lowell, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, really, technically not Lowell. Oh. I live in Virginia Township. Okay. Which is out in the country outside of Lowell. Gotcha, but okay. That's the mailing address is Lowell. Yeah. So, you know, the area, you know. So, yeah, Lowell is about 10 minutes away. Okay. You know, I go in there every now and then. I usually head back to Grand Rapids. Mm. You know, they got Ace Hardware I go to. If I go, I'm going to Ace Hardware yep. to grab something, you know. <laughs> they got a Myers in there. My wife runs up. If we have company come over and need something for Myers, I jet up there. But yeah. usually I'm heading back to Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the day I was, I kind of do a lot of bike riding. So the day I yeah. rode out to uh, Rockford Dam, okay. ate lunch at a hot dog place and turned back around. It's only 23 miles. But, yeah. You know, the day was such a nice day. Oh, it was a beautiful day. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, the weather go like this. Yeah. I said, oh, no. Let it's me supposed to be raining the next summer. Yeah, days. I said, let me. And then even coming back, I could see the clouds coming from the west. Yeah. I said, ah. Oh. just starting to sprinkle now. Yep, and then it got windy. And it's yeah. always hard riding into the wind. Yeah. Right? You're recording on this one? I was at Riverside Park at that point. So, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I usually park my car there. If I just want a shorter ride, usually what I do is ride from church. church. I got a bike at the church. Okay. I'll ride with, kind of adds another eight miles to the trip. But mm-hmm. uh, say, so, no, let me just put my bike rack on, drop it off at Riverside, run out there, run back. There you go. Because, like I say, I had looked at the weather. Like, I'll help you out with this. And it's like, no, I may have one or two. Usually in November, you can get about two, three days where jump up in the 60s. Just mm-hmm. kind of freaky day. Yeah. Going to be 62. Sunshine, I do it then. Yeah. 
by the first week of December. I'm just noticing he's not going to happen anymore. You might as well put them up. Yep. You might as well put them up. You, know, you might as well put the bikes up. But everybody's out there today. All of the older people riding their bikes, you can tell that they knew was thinking like me. This is it. You know what I mean? This is it. You got to go out and take advantage of it. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, we got a guy at our Daily Bread, um, Steve Gray. Mm -hmm. He he rides a lot. Yeah. And he volunteers at the bike shop. Yeah. And he coaches kids on bike riding. Yeah. Uh He's he's really into it. I was over at our Daily Bread for that. That chaplaincy for the NBA people. Oh, are you there for that? Yeah. Oh, cool. I was the speaker. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was the speaker. You were the speaker. I heard it went really well. Yeah, they had some pretty. When I, when I shut the door, that's when you clap. Okay. I'm that sorry I didn't get over there to see it. Yeah, they, they, some coaches from a little bit everywhere. I was surprised. They came, you know, mm-hmm. some faraway places. Yep. You ready? I am. You guys ready? I'm ready. All right. Three, two, Hi, I'm John Smith. Welcome to Kingdom Real. I'm excited today to have my friend, Pastor Gary Hankins, with me. Mm-hmm. And Gary, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, good to have you here, my friend. So why don't you help us out by hearing a little bit of your family of origin? Okay, well, I was born and raised in Detroit, you know, the best city on the planet. There you go. And, of course, I was born at a time back in 1956 and forward, so it was a good time as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, had a wonderful childhood, no complaints, loved life. It was the best time of my life then. And, uh, you know, I have I have now six, five more brothers and sisters, one of them deceased. And my mom just passed away not too long ago. was raised in a home with a mom and a daddy, grandparents, extended family. All that was around us all the time. It was normal. It was natural. And uh, and even now, I just look back and oftentimes thank God that I was raised in such a healthy, normal environment. Yes. And uh, so it was it was good childhood. Now Detroit was healthy back then. The car industry, you know, Motown, you know, because yeah. you like the Motown sounds. So a lot of music, a lot of culture, and uh, so you know, it was a good it was it was a good life for me. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. That's great. So. If you were to think of a couple of childhood memories, mm-hmm. things that just you, know, you kind of hang on to near and dear to your heart, what mm-hmm. would be a couple of those memories? Uh, you know, I think honestly and truly, unlike today, uh, as a kid, we simply enjoyed going to church. Okay. Uh, you know, people walking down the street, unlike today when people drive, you know, uh, uh, you know, you sitting in your house and here come your friends walking down the street and you running out trying to catch up with them to go to church. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was normal. It was natural. It was cultural. It was just a place that we had a lot of fun at. So that was a fond memory that I just, wow. I just, all the time I thank God for that. And then secondly, just we were, when I was younger, all of us lived together in my grandmother's house before we got a, 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 our own home. Okay. And... I, you know, I just, I just thoroughly enjoyed living as a kid, all of us under one roof. Hmm. And uh, I just remember one time she went to the hospital for two or three days, and I was so excited for her to come back and be back in the house. So right. for me, you know, I was raised at a time where 
unbeknownst to us, that made us happy, just being around a lot of love and a lot of family, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of community. And I just lament today how much young people don't realize how beautiful it was being in that environment. I see them now and I just kind of lament that they didn't have a mm. fun childhood, a fun life with, you know, uh, uh, relatives dropping by all the time. I mean, you know, pies and cakes being cooked, nasty, no fast food restaurants right. at all. So everybody <laughs> ate at home. It was just fun just being around family, honestly, and truthfully. Wow, mm-hmm. that's great. And living right with your grandparents. Yeah, it, it was, was just, even up to this day, I tell folk that if I could go back in time, and live at a period of my life that I was just happiest in my life, I would go back to that time. I just was happy. I was just a happy kid. And life was probably a little more simple. It was simple, and, you know, it was just simple. And I I just, you know, it honestly reminds me of the kind of a glimpse of the little happiness that I'm going to have when I get to heaven. It was just just simple and wonderful. I had no complaints about it, no complaints whatsoever. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. fantastic. That's fantastic. So, well, as you look at your life and all the things you've been through, Mm -hmm. if you were to identify maybe your darkest, Mm -hmm. most difficult Mm -hmm. moment, experience, thing you went through, Mm -hmm. what, what comes to mind? Uh, June 6th. 2016 when my mama died. Mm. I was in Needles, California on the border of California and Arizona on Highway 40 in a in, in a hotel coming from a family vacation. I got to call my mom at pass. Mm. And I had a you know I had a good relationship with my mama until the day she went to heaven. And that was the darkest moment of my life is when I got that call. Because I was wow. it, it was unexpected. I just Talked to her two days early. She was at a birthday party with some friends of hers and uh, just got the call, and Hmm. it was over. It was over that fast. It was over that fast. Hard to believe. Big shock. Didn't see it coming. Didn't see it coming. It just got the call. uh, You know, uh, of course, they rushed her to the hospital, tried to revive her. Got a call from my brothers and simply said, Mom's gone. Wow. And he hung up because I'm sure he was going through his own grief. Sure. So there was sure. no conversation after that. Wow. So we just, you know, so, you know, I was like, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 miles away. So uh, driving. Hmm. So, of course, that was the longest drive and the most quietest drive ever. It's wow. Just going back to Michigan, you know, to face that, mm-hmm. you know, face that bad news, you know. Yeah. Yep. So that was it. Then after that, just a lot of emotions. A lot of, you know, just a lot of grief, a lot of crying, a lot of pain, a lot of, you know, you just, yeah. it just keeps coming at you in waves. So that well, was that. Would you do me a favor mm-hmm. and tell me a little bit about your mom? Well, you know, she was like, everybody loves their mom. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody says that they have the greatest mom in the world. Yep. They're supposed to say that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but my mom was just like a lot of good mothers, nurturing um, you know, loving, warm, loved us as a children. Uh, uh, you know, somebody you could talk to. Dad, we couldn't really talk to Dad because Dad was the disciplinarian in the okay. home, which was good. We needed it. <laughs> uh, but Mom was the one that was the emotional side we could lean on, like mm-hmm. a lot of mothers are. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I mean, she was a church going woman, a Christian lady, but just a normal good mother okay. that that I had and other other friends of mine had, just mothers that cared about you and loved you and nurtured you and, mm-hmm. you know, took care of you. And so, you know, you mount up 60 years with one mother. Yeah. <laughs> then God taps on the shoulder and says, time, time to go. Time. I always joke with God, you could have gave me five more years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was a rush. Yeah, yeah well, I was a rush. Look at this person. Look at this person. He is mama, 97. You know? yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, you know, always joke with God about that. You yep. could have gave me more, God. You know you had the power to do it. You know what I mean? Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, she was just... You know, like a normal good mother, like a lot of my friends have mothers, they talk about theirs. I can see overlapping characteristics. We were raised at a time, obviously, back 50s, 60s, where mothers didn't, you know, mothers weren't trying to be on the street and trying to be young and trying to do this, that. They was at home and they, and they cooked. They were out pursuing a career. They were not out pursuing a career. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I understand it today it's a culture of course my wife you know has a career and I, you know i encourage my daughters to you know get careers but you know it is something that again is a sadness mm. that the children of this world would never know a mom being home mm. and not to say that she was unintelligent couldn't have had a career but it was a blessing as i got older to look back of having that warm love in the home when I came from school. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, my wife stayed home for the first 13 years of us raising our children until the last one out of five was in school all day because I wanted her and the kids to experience coming home to their mom being there all day oh, yeah. until they was in school. And then, when, you know, they got home from school. She was there. I was there. So never that get. But today, it, the daycare, they trying to, oh, it's just to mm-hmm. me, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I understand, but, yeah. you know, mom, all the moms were at home back when I was yeah, coming up, you I, know, so it was a wonderful thing. I grew up the same way. Yeah. It's such a blessing. It's such a blessing. 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 And, you know, I'm dated, but I know young people can't feel it, but <laughs> it was just, it was just, you know, you could feel the warmth coming in the house, food cooking, you know, it yep. just was different. It was different. Yeah. Yep. So as a pastor, mm-hmm. you have been there for many people. Yeah. They lost a parent, they mm-hmm. lost a loved one. Mm-hmm. But when it happens to you, mm-hmm. it's a little different. It's different. And how did you experience God in the midst of your grief and the loss of your mom? You know, what I had, I did not want to be, and and I I just don't want to be this because I've seen it happen many times. I don't want to be the happy Christian praising God until trouble come my way. I've seen Christians praising God, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But when their mama died or they go to the hospital and they got stage four cancer, now a lot of doubting God comes in. A lot of God didn't do me right. Mm-hmm. A lot of struggling against his will. I tried to cultivate, and I saw that as a young pastor and an old pastor. I was shocked sometimes to see people get to that point. And they may be 73 years old. I mean, up there, I mean, they got some time on earth. Yeah. But they almost, God, you did me wrong. 
Mm. And I did not want to be that type of a child of God that when my time come where the doctor says you have stage four cancer, or my time come when my mama died, I wanted not only God to see it, but other believers to mm -hmm. see. Yeah. He didn't do me wrong. Yeah. Uh, so when my time came, I determined my heart that when I stand before the presence of God, he's going to know that I still praised him. Because I look back at the mothers that I did funerals for their children that were six, seven, eight years old. Some mothers' children got caught in fires at two or three. Mm. And the grief there. And I said, but Lord, you gave me 60 years with my mother. I got a whole lot more than a lot of people out and buried. And a lot of young people, their parents died when they was in their 20s and 30s. So I'm going to praise you for it. So mm -hmm. I determined, even in my sickness, and I've been cultivating this for, for like decades, when I saw this happening to other believers that I thought mm -hmm. was really strong, mm -hmm. that when they got to their valley of the shadow of death, yep. they wanted to turn around. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, no, I'm not going to do God like that. God has been clear in his word that tragedy comes to believers. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, all of us know it came to his son That's right. a, million, a million times over. He'll come to us. So when a mom died, I was out in the middle of a desert. I just went out to my car and just sat on, just sat on the trunk, looked up to heaven, and I still told him thank you. I still mm. told him thank you. Yeah. I still told him uh I appreciate the 60 years. I really do, God. And I mean, I never showed any anger or bitterness towards him because, like I said, I had buried other mother's children. And, uh, you know, I got to see mine for 60 years, so wow. I didn't have a complaint. And then on top of that, the ice on the cake without saying it's super spiritual <laughs> is that I will go see her again. Yeah. But still, I joke with God, he could have gave me five more. That's right. I still joke with him, Lord, you could have gave me five more. But I'm going to tell you, a friend of mine that worked in a hospital with sick patients hmm. called me about four years before my mother died, because we had been talking earlier okay. about my mother had a few health problems. Mm -hmm. And he called me up and he said, now, Hank, God can bless a person to live as long as he wants. But I'm simply saying... With your mother's condition at her age, most people die in about two years from that. She had heart problems, ah. di diabetes, and she's on dialysis. And uh, that was the best conversation I ever got. Because at that point, I determined to drive to Detroit like every two weeks. for, And mm. finally, four years later, she passed away. But he did tell me, you know, Jess, I, I'm not saying God can't. Right. But just be aware from my experience in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Don't think you got 10 or 15 years. Yeah. So, yeah, so, but basically, like I say, uh, that's pretty much what I, and, and another thing that's helped me is that I cry more at other people's funeral now. Mm. So when I'm up there, got to do it, I'm looking down at the coffin and then they grief. I cry more now because I can feel it now. Mm. Before it was intellectual. Mm-hmm. And it was a few sad moments, but not as many as I have now. I now put myself in their That's shoes and say, I can feel it. Mm. 
And sometime in the pulpit, I have to tell myself, Gary, you know, you didn't get too emotional. You got to speak. But it's a good feeling to know that I can feel your pain because I've been Absolutely. there. You know what I mean? Rather than quoting a few verses, you know, and like that. Chances are your emotion yeah. communicates more than your words. Yes. Anyway. Learn not to just have these flippant verses. So you know all things work together for the good of those little Lord. Well, somebody that lost their child, they really, that's mm-hmm. not the verse to give them. You know exactly. what I mean? It's better just stand there and cry. You know, mm-hmm. cry with them. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much what, you know. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what is your one or two biggest challenges you've encountered as a pastor? That was just like, oh, my goodness. I didn't think I'd have to do something like this. You know, I think when you're doing inner city ministry Hmm. and you are trying to articulate the word the way it should and you're calling people to holiness and a purity of life, and you have emotions in your worship service, in your church, but you don't want it to get out of control where they don't focus in on the word. You know, the hardest part is, you know, our culture, because of a lack of not being allowed to enter the great seminaries of the world back in the 60s and the 50s mm-hmm. and the 40s, Going back to, you know, Jim Crow slavery, not being able to get a proper education, our service, our our church services contain a lot of good emotions, Mm -hmm. good spiritual releases, but it lacked, you know, the, the depth of the word because we were not allowed to be trained. Even my own, even my own alma mater, uh, 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 I mean, Dad's Theological Seminary, it didn't allow black folk in the late, late 60s, maybe early 70s. They mm-hmm. kept us out. So you can imagine all the men and women that could have went there and sure. been better pastors, better trained. So for me, just getting people in the community to see that this is the type of ministries or the type of churches we need now mm-hmm. is men and women that are going to help you grow in the word of God. You know what I mean? So that's been my greatest challenge. And always with inner city ministry, the money is always a problem. Mm -hmm. Because we are obviously the last hide and the first fire. Don't have doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs and businessmen. If you got a doctor in your congregation, a little medical doctor, that's rare. If uh, you got an attorney in your, if you got one or two attorneys in your congregation, that's real. So you getting a bunch of people under the roof that really can't afford to pay a pastor like they should. Health insurance, all those benefits, retirement. So one of the struggles that being with a lot, not only me, but with a lot of pastors that take on these small works and trying to build them where they stable, mm-hmm. is the money is always a problem. Money and that's always a problem. The appreciation that we. Uh, doing, you know, what we do, you know. So that's what that's a big problem. Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. I remember when we were having breakfast uh, a while back, mm-hmm. you shared a story about when you were driving a truck with your belongings in it and you pulled into Grand Rapids. What, what, what went through your mind when you first came yeah. to Grand Rapids? <laughs> if you don't mind I, sharing a little bit about you that. You know, <laughs> leaving Dallas, 
The nomination wanted me to plant a church. No class, no training. Didn't know nobody that was really doing this. Uh, Grand, Grand Rapids was like entering, entering, now, uh, uh, entering Atlanta Canaan for Israel, not knowing anything about it. Uh, it's just some told me this is not going to be easy. This is not going to be easy. <laughs> Because I thought in seminary, I'm going to, you know, go, you know, candidate for a church is already sitting there, building, sitting there, church van sitting on the park a lot. Yeah. And I pulled over, I purposely pulled over before it said Grand Rapids City Limits. I was in a 24-foot U-Haul truck. I pulled over, slid over to the passenger side of the seat. And I told God that you're driving now. <laughs> and I sat there for a second and said, God, now I am only here because you sent me here. Hmm. And uh, I knew I would fail. I knew I needed miracles. I knew I, I didn't know nobody. I had no family here. Lord, the only reason I'm here, the only reason why, this is the last seat on the planet I would have chose. The only reason why I'm here is because you sent me here. You got to go before me like you went before Israel. And I can testify he did exactly that. Hmm. He did exactly. Everything bought me builders, take care of my family. Yes, he is almost like he gave me a gold MasterCard and said, I'm going to make sure that all your needs are met. And he did it. He wow. did it. He did it. And, uh, I, you know, I, I got no complaints, and now I'm almost done. So uh, anyway. What do you mean almost done? You know, oh, no. <laughs> this new generation, <laughs> this new generation need a pastor that's more cut from their cloth. Oh, so uh, I think you know I'm a 66 now, and I talk to young people that are millennials, and I ask them honestly: Am I dated in the pulpit? Do I sound old-fashioned? If I'm still relevant, and they assure me. That, uh, yes, Pastor, you know, you still relevant. But I'm always on social media looking at that, watching the news, watching mm -hmm. things they watch. So I'm trying to keep it relevant. But, yeah. you know, it comes a time like most anybody else. You got to give to a younger person. You know. Well, so. I've been in your church, and I heard you preach, and <laughs> yeah. you're pretty relevant. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, you know. And you're really good at that tambourine. Yeah, you know, people say I'm good at tambourine. <laughs> you got to see me tossing up sometimes, 20 feet in the air and catch it. They always shock when I do that. Wow. That's great. So if you were to identify what makes you come alive, mm -hmm. if you just think about, you know, life, your passions, like what, what's a key driver that, man, that just brings life to me. You know, and this is going to sound, you know, cliche-ish, but... You know, when you're preaching, it, it feels better when you know that the Spirit of God is actually coming through your preaching. And oftentimes, because you have a seminary background with the Greek and the Hebrew, the seminary environment removes the third person of the Trinity <laughs> out of your ministry. He's like standing over there somewhere. Mm. And they, you know, you got the outline, you got the main points, you repeat your main points. 
And it sounds mechanical. But one of the greatest joys I get is when I know that I know that I know today the spirit of God is in this and I'm just, I'm popping. I, I mean, it's clear. I, it's like, and then I can see it in the audience that, hey, I, you know, I'm hearing the, the word of God speak to me alive. So that's, for me, is one of the great moments right there. It's just one of the great moments wow. right there. Mm-hmm. I would imagine those moments happen fairly often for you. Yeah, for me, yes, in the sense that it took me some time to realize that a a good seminary makes, unbeknownst to you, a good seminary makes you arrogant. And when you're younger and you graduate from a good seminary, and everybody on the planet knows it's a good seminary, it goes to your head. And, you know, you analyze people, you know, of course, you know, they ain't got an education, they ain't been to seminary, look at me. So when I get to church on Sunday morning, I get there an hour, maybe an hour and a half before anybody. It's a very quiet time where I am petitioning the Holy Spirit, in spite of the Holy Spirit of nine years of theological training, uh, that if you don't show up, this is all useless today. It's all mm. useless. So for me, generally speaking, he will show up if I'm humble about it. You know what I mean? If I'm humble about he, it and sincere. He prefers humility. He, he will show up. <laughs> but at, early in my ministry, I was arrogant and cocky. But mm. I graduated from Dallas. I studied Greek and Hebrew. I was with this professor, that professor. And the Holy Spirit would unplug it every time. <laughs> I was so bored, it was a shame. <laughs> he would unplug it every time. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. That's good. So, mm-hmm. well, we've got just a, a couple, two, three minutes left. Yes. If you were to summarize. Mm-hmm. A message of hope mm-hmm. for anyone in the world that might be listening mm-hmm. to you. What would you say? Look, my message has not changed. And I watch news and chaos in the world like everybody else, broken lives, shattered lives, on, on social media and people around me. Christ is still the answer. Christ is still the answer. Mm-hmm. I know everybody turned their back on him. I know the church is going in the direction of loving the world, loving the things of the world. But I truly still believe a thousand times greater than I did on June 16, 1977. I trusted Christ. Christ is still the answer. Amen. And if a person sincerely trusts Christ the right way, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit enters them at that point because they sincerely trust Christ, he can radicalize and change your life. I still believe that's the message day. In spite of us all know we live in a world now where people are just pushing the gospel back. It's still the answer. It still, it still changes lives. Unbelievable. And those who see it know it. He changed my life. So yet my answer is not changed. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I do say I think the church is mixing it with politics too. But they, they should leave that alone. Mm. At that point, it confuses people. They need to stay with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now Satan has the ability now that he's deluding it. We need to stick with the pure gospel and not bring in all this other stuff. 
which now is confusing the word church attendance, evangelicalism, attendance is up, and we know it's up because of politics, but not because of true trust and faith in Christ. We need to leave that alone and do what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 28, go ye out in all the world and make disciples. But now we done mixed it with so much in this harm in the gospel. Right. Mm -hmm. In the last minute or so, mm -hmm. so that there's no confusion, mm -hmm. Help, un help everybody understand the simple truth. What is the gospel? The gospel is simple. And I like to start with the love of God. That God loves you. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and pay for your sins on Calvary's cross. And he did resurrect three days later. And he did that because God has demonstrated his love towards us. And that while we were yet in sin... Christ died for us. God wants you to go to heaven when you die. And the only way you can go to heaven when you die is simple. Just believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross your sins sincerely. And God will wipe away and forgive and, and remove all your sins forever. That's a simple gospel. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you I for having me. It. Oh, it's been delightful. Yes, it has. And uh, we'll continue to talk and Continue to build our friendship? Yes, you will. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Yeah, you right. close around the corner for me. Six minutes. That's I was here. That's good. All right. That sounds <laughs> Thank great. you. Well, thank you so much. John Smith signing off here for this episode of Kingdom Real. Can hardly wait to see you next time. God bless. God bless. Thank you. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Good job, brother. That was fun. It was fun. It was that fun. That was fun. Uh-huh.